So as the kids are making their way to the back of the church, please uh, open up your bulletins. In the middle, you're going to find a sheet of sermon notes, which are going to be important uh, this morning as we continue to grow together. Uh, summer is a great opportunity for us to take on some subjects that we don't normally get to, uh, to do. And for the last several weeks, we've been talking about revival. And revival means different things to different people. Um, in, the kind of, in, in the older days, there was often a week of revival. And what that normally meant was, is you would have some guest preacher that would come in during the week and would preach every day. And the idea was is to re-energize and to, to get people reconnected and more enthusiastic, uh, more passionate about their faith. What they find is over time, we kind of get into routines. Somebody once said that routines are like the Benadryl of our worship time. We just kind of go through the motions, right? Every Sunday, there's kind of a schedule. And if you've ever taken Benadryl uh, for an allergy or something, um, you, you kind of get a little sleepy. It kind of brings your energy levels down, and you just kind of doze off. And, and the tendency is, is that the more that we just kind of go through the routines, we just kind of go through the rituals of, of normal church life, it's like Benadryl. We just kind of like slowly settle into your, your comfort zone. Do you notice this? You, you tend to sit in the same spot? Or, or you tend to sit with the same people? You say good morning to the same crowd? You kind of get into a routine, and pretty soon you're just kind of asleep. And, and revival was intended to kind of re-energize us, reawaken us. I notice that sometimes during the summer months, um, people will do things like, I'm going to take the summer off, right, from church. I, you know, I'm going to go on vacation, but maybe I'm not going to be as attentive. And, and maybe as you look around, you notice that maybe the pews are a little bit more empty than they, they normally are. So every so often, we need to be revitalized. We need to bring back who we really are. And I've also noticed that sometimes our Methodist heritage, who we are, what makes you proud to be a United Methodist, kind of gets lost. We're kind of a, a, an amalgam of different faith backgrounds, different relationships. You've had experiences, but all of them kind of come together in this place. And so I want to spend some time talking about the Methodist revival that occurred in the 1700s uh, with the birth of John Wesley. Uh, last Sunday I said, we do not worship John Wesley, but we learn from him, from his background. And, and I'm hoping that in our time together, we can learn some new things that will help revitalize our faith. Because I believe that now more than ever, we need to be a church that is on fire, a church that is alive with what God is doing. So if you haven't already, if, you've, if you, this is your first Sunday with us, um, go back last week and, and catch up to where we are. That last Sunday was Wesley's early years his birth, what it was like for him to grow up, that allowed him to catch fire, and then how it spread across an entire nation, and how it eventually jumped over here to the Americas, so that there was a period of time in the 1800s where a new church was beginning somewhere in the country every day for 50 consecutive years. The church was... The, the faith was on fire. The, the nation was alive with the expectation of what God can do. And, and what happens is once the church kind of gets established, we kind of fade into the background. We, we start going through the routines. 
So now we're going to take a look at, at the second phase of Wesley's life and see if there's a connection to us. And I believe that deep down inside, there's a connection that you've always been longing for that Wesley felt and, and brought to life. Our scripture verse for this morning comes from the epistle from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Peter writes in his epistle, he says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed as his com- at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now last week we talked about what can happen to all kinds of churches, all kinds of people. We can become very busy. Maybe you're busy with your life, your, your family, your kid, job, whatever it is. You, you have a plan for your life. And you're working the plan, and you're going down the path, you're building equity, you're building a, a name for yourself, you're building a career, you, you're looking for that life of retirement when good life will happen. And somewhere along the line, as you're busy building, you've kind of forgotten why you're building. You know, churches can do that, faith can do that, faith can take a back seat to all of that. And, and in the second, uh, the second chapter of Revelations, there are these letters to churches, and Jesus was talking to the church in Ephesus, and he said, you're doing a lot of great stuff. You've got all kinds of programs at this church. You've got all kinds of opportunities. You've got great music. You've got a great environment. Thanks be to God for air conditioning on a day like today. We've got it going here. And then he says, but you know what? You forgot your first love. You, you, you enjoy everything, but you forgot why you love it. And so in that chapter, we have to ask the question, have we forgotten our first love? Have we forgotten why we're here this morning? Have you forgotten that original connection that you had? This week, we had a bunch of kids that were at at camp. Kids reconnecting with their faith. And maybe you had that at some point in your life where you were just on fire and you said, wow, I love this. You know, God is good all the time. And, and you knew it and you felt inspired and, and you felt like you were part of something. You could change the world because God was on your side and God had a purpose for you. But then your schedule took over and you had emails to respond to and, and you had some texts that you had to deal with and you had some letters and bills to pay and Pretty soon you forgot, and now you're here, and you kind of go, what happened to my first love? Maybe this is a time for your revival. We find that as long as we are content to live just as we are, we will. So the first key to understanding revival is are you ready for change? Are you ready to do something different? Are you ready to kind of get out of your pew and do something? Because if you're ready, if you're comfortable where you are, you will always stay there. Somebody once said, just because you're willing to sit up and take notice, you have to stop sitting to finally take notice. You have to get active. You have to do something personal. So we talked about what does that mean. And last week we said the precursors were that the time was fully right. When Wesley came on the scene, at the, at, born in 1703, the nation was in turmoil. There was div- divisive 
factions. There was the, the, the Anglicans and, and the Puritans. There were the Democrats and the Republicans. There were the liberals and there were the conservatives. And they were devouring each other. And people didn't know where to stand. And finally they said, what difference does it make? Nobody really cares. They're always battling at each other. Are you ready for a change? Do you think that that's the way it was meant to be? Do you feel that it could be different? Then the time is right for you to change the habits. He recognized that it was also the foundation was built on prayer. His mother had been praying for him and, and throughout his life had, had prayed that God would do an amazing thing in his life. He was bad. He was bathed in an atmosphere, a community of prayer and support. And finally, they recognized that he had a serious responsibility. Wesley believed that he was born for something special, that, that he was made for something more than just going through the motions. You remember the story that his house caught on fire and, and nobody could get to him. And finally, at the last minute, they pulled him out of a second story window and his mother looked at him and said, here is a brand plucked from the burning made a scripture reference and said, something special is going to happen in your life. What do you think a difference it would make to all of the kids as they sit up here? If deep down inside, somebody looked at them and said, something special is going to happen in your life. God has a plan for you. That's what we do. We give them hope about something that is special. So the precursors of faith are simply that our hearts were hungry that blessings were being sought and change was expected. That was the precursor to revival. In the second phase of his life, Wesley now goes off to college. This is his time of personal holiness. Now, when Wesley goes to college, he, he went to college in Oxford in 1720. He, he was admitted to Oxford into a place called Christ's College, which was a, a subgroup of, of uh, Oxford University. And he studied there. He studied both theology and uh, philosophy as well as the sciences. And by all accounts, Wesley was just a normal college kid, right? I mean, he loved to play tennis. He loved to play backgammon. He loved to frequent the coffee houses. He loved to be a part of groups and have fun. He was a fun-loving college kid. Now, let me ask you, do you find in our experience that most people, when they go off to college, does their faith grow? Or does it diminish? Something happened during those formative years that he was away at college. Something that changed him about how he approached faith and what it really meant. Wesley began to, to study and he began to learn and he began to really think critically about life story. He, was, he studied philosophy and when he graduated, he actually, they hired him, Oxford hired him to be a professor. Now, during that time when he was in Oxford, he both had to deal with teaching philosophy as well as being a spiritual mentor to a student. So he had to figure out how to blend the philosophy of the great thinkers of the past as well as the spiritual life. And he began to blend them together. And that's where we get one of the huge distinctive qualities about our lives as Christians. What makes United Methodists things about this time is we have got to learn how to cultivate the intellect, cultivate the intellect. We have to understand that we have to learn, we have to not only become uh, emotional and passionate about our faith, but we have to learn its essence. 
It's during this time that his world begins to expand. But not only does it expand, he begins to see God's hand in all of human history. He sees God playing out in the sciences. He sees God playing out in philosophy and in religion. You see, most of the time what happens is kids go off to college and they say, well, you know, Christianity is really for, for lightweights. Right? I mean, it's for people that don't, aren't really critical thinkers, right? They're not really critical thinkers. They just take what somebody tells them and they just go with it. Why is it like that? I don't know. It's just like that. Wesley was not like that. He said, think critically. Think about what it means. For example, this past week, we've had two tragic events. First of all, last Sunday, we mentioned about Mike being, being killed in a car accident. So let me ask you, why do bad things happen to good people? Do you know? Can you answer that question? Have you thought about that? Have you struggled with that? This week, a good friend of ours that has served this church faithfully finally has passed on. And we're sorrow, you know, our sorrow for, for um, Jody and her family with Roger's passing. What, what are you going to say to them? What, what's the point here? Where is God in all of that? Are you struggling? Do you know somebody that's struggling with cancer or death or loss? If you haven't, you will someday. What's your answer? What do you say to them? Because if you don't know, most people will say, see, you know, Christianity's for life. Well, you don't really think about it, do you? Wesley wanted you to be a thinker. That's why we give you these books. Out here in the hallway, the God questions. How can you learn to have answers for people that ask you? How can you learn the deep questions of what faith is all about? So Wesley began to find answers. For those of you that have known my background, you, you understand that after graduate school at, at Duke, I came to a deep understanding of faith, not in rejection of my science background of chemistry, but because of it. Because of my background in chemistry, I understand not only is this good for the future, it's the truth now. You will come to understand the truth if you embrace your mind and you think. He wanted you to become a thinker. As a matter of fact, why do you think I always go back in my moments when I need a good quote and I find a book by C.S. Lewis? In my moments as a scientist, as I'm sitting in my office, I picked up this little book called Mere Christianity. And it rocked my world. He said, this is the way life really is. I didn't go into ministry in rejection of science, but because of it. It helped me to become a critical thinker. What we need to do as a church is become critical thinkers. Every week, I put a little piece of paper in your bulletin. I call them sermon notes because I want you to be a critical thinker. Why are you a Methodist? Because I am a critical thinker. I'm a learner. I've got questions that are being answered. I need to learn. And by learning, I begin to grow. Peter, in the third chapter of his epistle, writes the following. He said, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, but be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Are you able to give a reason for what you believe? Nobody wants to stay a lightweight all of their lives. I want to give you the answers. I want you to help to see. Because here's what will happen. If you're just here because of the emotion, man, I love the music. 
right? I love watching the praise team up here. I love that music. It gets me pumped up. It gets me energized. But if that's all you have, it'll fade away. And pretty soon you're going, you know, I'm just not feeling it anymore. And you'll move on because you're looking for a feeling. But if you're here to learn, if you're here to dig, if you're here to go deeper, that's what I want to give you. I, I want this to be something that you can chew on some meat. I want this to be a graduate level study where you can learn deep things of theology so that it's founded on solid ground. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul gives us this command. He said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. How do we do that? How do we not conform to your job, to your career, to the culture? He said, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Go deeper. Learn new things. Cultivate your intellect. So how do we do that? How can we cultivate an intellect among us? How can we go deeper? There's a couple of things I want to encourage you. First of all, expand your mind. Read other books. Read other texts. If I were to go around this morning, I said, so tell me, what other Christian books are you reading today? Well, let me, let me make it a little easier. Tell me the last Christian book that you read this year. This decade. Right? Expand your mind. Understand the deeper things that are going in. I gave this, I, I highly recommend it. I gave this, kid, this book to my kids. It was required reading. I don't know that they did it, but they, it was given to them. It's The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. If you have questions about heaven and hell, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? If you have questions about the exclusivity feeling that we all have, or is there really a God? How do you know that there's really a God? Pick up a, a, a book that challenges you, that helps you to grow. The Wesleyan movement was born out of an academic background. So much of our culture is whenever people go off to academ academia, to the universities, we say, oh, their faith is gone now. No, not if they're critical thinkers. I can't tell you, and I, I sometimes, I, I, I think it, I don't always say it, but I think it. If somebody comes in and says, I'm an atheist, I don't believe that there is a God, I don't believe that God has any effect on anything, in my mind, I'm saying that's because you're not a, a deep thinker. You haven't really thought this through. It's easier to be an atheist than it is to be anything else. The first thing that we have to do as Christians, as healthy Christians, looking for revitalization, you have to expand your mind. The second thing is embrace your doubts. I can't tell you how many times people have doubts about certain aspects of the faith. For example, how many of you can articulate why we have infant baptism? That's a Methodist tradition. Why do we do that? Do you know? Can you articulate? There's a really good reason. Is there a reason why we do communion the way we do? What are some of the beliefs that we have that you struggle with? What are some of the reasons that you struggle with your faith in going deeper? Embrace them because your doubts are the, the door that leads to greater understanding. Now, one of two things will happen when you have doubts, I believe. The first one is you will either dig deeper in order to understand. I'm, I'm not sure why it's done this way. I'm not sure why this is the habit. You'll either dig to find the answer or you'll give up and say, oh, there isn't any. If I don't know what it is, it can't exist. 
The question is, is, if we're going to grow, we're going to be passionate about what God is doing, you have to have the foundation of knowledge. That is a fundamental of United Methodist tradition. As a matter of fact, a lot of our universities across the country were founded by United Methodist, well, Methodist communities. What they would do is they would get what are called camp meetings. It was a week of revival. Right? You have a week of revival. People are just so passionate. They're so alive with what God would do. And they said, but if we want this to continue, we've got to have an intellectual foundation. And they said, let's collect money together to begin a small college. So what would happen is they would collect money. As a matter of fact, in, in the center part of the state of North Carolina, a small group gathered together in 1738, and they had a revival meeting. People were so excited and so passionate, they began a college, and it was called Taylor College for the raising up of new minds of philosophy and theology, of teaching and of education. And that college was eventually bought by another organization that renamed it Trinity College. And at the turn of the century, it was bought again, and it was named Duke University. Duke University has a Methodist foundation. It has Methodist roots, and those Methodist roots are still in its bylaws even today. What about other schools? What about other places? How about places like Syracuse University? How about Brown University? How about Boston University? How about SMU? How about USC? How about Kansas State? All of those universities were started because of a camp meeting of Methodists that said, if we want this to continue, we have to have an educated population. I want you to know more, not less. I want to challenge you to stand up, not to just kind of let it wash over you. And finally, we need to be able to balance your heart. Wesley was often, called, uh, was often called an enthusiast, which meant a passionate. Enthusiasts in that day were what we would like to call today holy rollers. You know, people that would just get so passionate, so energized by the service, that if they were just so passionate and so alive, they knew that they were in church because of the energy and the passion. Wesley wanted to, to marriage that, or to blend that with a good, solid education, to, to blend the two. Because otherwise, if you come away going, I didn't feel the energy today, then it's all about you. It's about just going from one place to another. Do you know people either in your family or in your neighborhood that are what are called church hoppers? They go from place to place looking for the most energy, the most story. They're looking for their heart to be touched, but not their mind. What we want to do as a church is we want to connect those six inches from your head to your heart so that the two remain in balance. The two are able to stay together. Charles Hodges once said, Faith is not a blind, irrational conviction. In order to believe, we must know what we believe and the grounds on which our faith rests. Otherwise, if somebody comes and challenges you and you have no answers, it's like a house of cards, a house built on sand. It, it, it collapses around you. I want you to know the reasons. I want you to be engaged. I want you to understand why things are happening the way they're happening. The for people to cultivate their intellect. What books are you reading? What studies are you a part of? Where are you growing the most as part of being part of studying and, and expanding your mind? He went farther to say he was in the pursuit then of 
holiness. In that passage in 1 Peter, Peter is writing and quoting Jesus. He said, be holy because I am holy. We are called as Christians not to just go through the motions. You are here in order for you to grow holy. To live the life that God lives. To experience that. So what Wesley did is he started to read different philosophies. He read a book by Jeremy Law about the practices and the rules of holy living. He, other pick, he picked up another book that he always kept with him. The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. The Rules for Holy Living. How do we actually live this out? Because what he ended up learning is he was surrounded in college by people who what we might call are nominal Christians. You know those people that show up those three days a year? What are those three days? Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Tends to be the three largest, right? And he said, look, if, if anything in my life, he said, there's a difference between what does it mean to be a Christian for you? What does it mean to be a Christian for you? Does it mean showing up once a week? Uh, sorry, does it mean showing up once a month? Uh, maybe once a quarter, that's, that's good enough for death and taxes. Okay. What does it mean for you? And he began to study and he began to learn and he said, God is asking for something more. He said there's a difference then between an almost and an altogether. And, and he made a commitment. Because of his philosophy background, he said, I want to be an altogether Christian. I want to do what God asks. I want to become holy. I want to live differently. What does that mean? And so he looked back to a, a verse, which is a great quote to remember. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes, he, he said, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Whatever you do, when you get up tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and you go to work, imagine having that in your mind. Whatever I do today, I'm going to do for the glory of God. Will you always get it right? Probably not. But that's our goal. When you go to the restaurant this afternoon, right after church, and your waitress is struggling to get everything done, whatever I do, do everything for the glory of God. Have I glorified God by the way I've treated them? Have I glorified God by the way I've treated my family? Have I glorified God by the way I have shared my voice and my, my hands and my heart with those that are around me? What does it mean to be an altogether Christian? Well, the fun, funny thing is, he said, what we need to do is learn to live less out of habit and more out of intent. And so Wesley began what he considered the rules. He began to study every week. He was, he was disciplined because there was something that he wanted in his life. He didn't want to just kind of go through the motions. He said, I want to be totally for God and what God is doing in my life. Because he had read through the, the scriptures. He had read deeply and he understood the truth of what he was all about. He began to understand what that really meant. And so he began to gather around himself because he learned that in college it was really hard. The, the college atmosphere was not conducive for growth and maturity. It was, a, it was a culture that was making fun of the Christians. It was making fun of their dedication to this unknown God that nobody else knew about. And he said, if I'm going to remain faithful to what I believe and to what I know to be true, I need help. I need some other brothers that are going to help encourage me to get me through. So he gathered together with five other guys, 
And once a week, they would meet in a library room, and, and they would just pray for each other. And they would ask them seriously, how is it with your soul this week? Where, where are you struggling? What are those doubts and fears that plague your mind? Tell me about your relationships. Are there things that we could do? And they would hold each other. They would do it in love because they knew that they wanted to remain strong, that, that they were under attack. And so the third thing that he learned during these formative years, the importance of having a small group. We talk about small groups. We talk about them. We, we talk about them some more. But we don't really do anything. we got to gather around ourselves those people that will encourage us to help us move from where we are to do more than what we thought was possible. He recognized that there's got to be a place where we blend together and we integrate faith and life, where what we do here on Sunday morning is integrated into your life. How are you going to live this out this week? What changes are you going to make? What challenges is it going to bring to your life? You see, Wesley understood that God is, is shaping us. We're, we're about becoming fully mature in Christ, about becoming something different. It's about changing not only our hearts, but our minds as well. I love this passage Wesley wrote several years ago after his ministry was taking off. He said, I was more convinced than ever that preaching like an apostle without joining together those that are awakened and training them up in the ways of God is only begetting children for the murderer. How much preaching has there been these 20 years all over Pembrokeshire? But no regular societies, there are no disciplines, there are no order or connections. And the consequence is that nine in 10 of the once awakened are now faster asleep than ever. That's a scary prospect. What he's saying here is there was that time where people would come in for revival, they would preach and people would be passionate and they would come up and they would give their life to Christ here on the, on the altar rail. They might even sign a card saying, I'm all in, you can count on me. But there was no discipleship, there was no small group, there was no maturity. There was only the heart, not the mind. And he said, as a result of that, nine in ten of those people who call themselves Christians are faster asleep now than ever. He said they're worse off than they were before because they think that they're an altogether Christian. He said they're almost a Christian. They haven't quite gotten there. They, they gave up somewhere along the road. They gave up. The challenge of revival is not to just get you passionate and say, I feel good about myself. I'm okay. You're okay. Good luck with you. I hope you have a good week. It's about challenging you to say, am I where I need to be? Maybe, maybe you're not ready yet. Maybe God hasn't stirred something. Maybe you feel like where you are is just fine. What I'm called to do is invite you to a new awakening. And this is what began really what was called the holiness movement. As a result of this small group meeting every time, people began to look at them. They were very dedicated, very scheduled in what they did, very methodical. People began to call them Bible bigots. The people began to call them Bible moths. They also began to call them Methodists, and the name stuck because they were methodical in living out the faith and the passion that they had, who they were and what God could do among them. So how do we do that? How can you change from where you are to become truly a Methodist, not, not just as part of a denomination, but as a way of life? I want you to cultivate your mind. I want you to grow. I want you to be an intellect. I want you to say, why is it 
like that? Can you help me read some books that will in, that encourage me? Why do you think we invested as a church so much in Right Now Ministries? To give you a plethora of information and resources to grow your relationships, your finances, your heart, your mind, and your soul. We give those to you for free. It is up to you whether you're ready to cultivate your mind or whether you're just going to say, I don't, because I don't know, the answers don't exist. Cultivate your mind. Develop a habit of the heart. Develop a habit of getting in touch with God on a regular basis. Of getting a routine, a schedule, things that define who you are, that grow who you are. And finally, find the power of the small group. We have Sunday school classes. We have small groups that are meeting throughout the week. We want to get you plugged in. Otherwise, that passion, whatever you're feeling this morning, will simply fade away as if it never happened. We've got to keep that strong. We've got to keep a, a firm foundation. If we're going to bring revival not only to this church but to this community, we have to be believe that it begins with us. You're here not by mistake but by God's invitation. Wesley opened up a door to a whole new world. Instead of just the pastor saying up here, saying this is what you need to believe, Wesley began to, to give opportunities to grow deeper in their faith and in their life by opening up new doors and new channels for study and growth. The question for you that has to plague you, I hope that you'll take these sermon notes home, put them on your refrigerator, just let them ruminate throughout the week. Are you ready to make that step? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we've gathered this morning because you invite us to be a part of a movement, to catch fire, to believe all that is written in the scriptures, and to follow through. Help us, Father, where we have lacked to ask your forgiveness, but also to begin and to take a new path for all those that are doubting. Grant them peace and hope and strength. Father, help us to be a church that is on fire because of the truth that is part of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.